It's perfectly natural to feel more comfortable with people who look like you, talk like you, dress like you, believe like you. But that's not the reality of living in Australia today. Well, to some extent, it never has been. So how do you feel when you encounter someone who's obviously from a different ethnic or religious background to you? Nervous? Unsure? Curious? Fearful? Angry? You can't necessarily help how you feel, but you can decide what you do next. This is Signs of the Times Radio with Kent Kingston. Hey, welcome to Signs of the Times Radio. It's the month of May. And with us on the phone, uh, via Skype actually, from Toowoomba is Jacob Uglesha. How are you, Jacob? Yeah, I'm doing good and good work saying my name right. <laughs> yeah, excellent. Yes, I, I tried. <laughs> I tried, tried my best. Now, uh, Jacob, you've written a uh, an article for us, the cover article actually, in the May edition of Signs of the Times entitled, Who is My Neighbour? And you've you've told us a, a little bit about s- some encounters that you, you have had with some of, you know, the people in your town. So, you know, literally your neighbours. But, mm. but before we go there, just give us a little bit of background on Toowoomba, like what it's like, what the, what the vibe is there and, and what you do yourself. Yeah, I've been in Toowoomba for about two years now and it's been pretty good because being here has been a bit of a change from a big city I mean it is still a city and it's about 100,000 or so Mm -hmm. but yeah so I'm from Brisbane it's a bit bigger there but coming here it felt a bit like a country town at first but it's grown on me and then something that's kind of cool that's been happening is Toowoomba has been taking in quite a bit of refugees from Syria Mm -hmm. so a lot of a lot of people from the Yazidi culture and uh, and religion and yeah uh, yeah just quite a few from Iraq and Afghanistan so I'm yeah it's quite an influx of different cultures coming in and I think they're taking on about 700 plus a year wow okay uh, so yeah it's quite it's a, quite a changing city and we'll do, we'll change more into this into the future well wow, okay that's that's really interesting because I guess Toowoomba you know around Australia has a reputation of being I guess a bit of a Bible belt town you know there mm-hmm. there are that's a lot correct. of a um, lot of Christians there politics is often fairly conservative I understand you're at the Glenvale Adventist Church is that right yeah, that's right. And I also am at the school called Darling Downs Christian School. Okay. So half time as a chaplain and half time as a pastor. And you're right, it is the Bible Belt, or, or considered so. Lots of churches. I think statistically, one in seven people attend church once a month. So that's well and truly above the national average. Yeah, yeah, uh, very much yeah. so. Okay. And mm. so, so your Glenva- Glenvale Adventist Church, does that mean you're working alongside uh, Pastor Casey Wolverton? Yeah, that's him. Yep. Right, yeah, because um, I've spoken to him from time to time, and he's yeah. told me that like he's really passionate about connecting with other churches in the mm-hmm. area, participating in events together, and it, reaching out to even to the local mosque and having sort yep. of interfaith dialogue. Is, has this sort of passion rubbed off on you a bit, has it? Uh, a little bit, hey. And I think like that, uh, that connections that he's wanted to build has... Mm float on and so that we can do stuff so we're not just isolated we're actually part of this this work that's going so it's across denominations across you know religions it's really bringing people closer together 
throughout this whole thing. So it's it's really cool working with Casey, and he definitely has rubbed off on me in that sense. <laughs> yeah, sure, fair enough. And I, I seem to recall I was you know before your time before you were there, but I think mm. there was actually a fire at a mosque in Toowoomba several years back, and uh, yeah, and and yeah. your your associate like uh, your senior pastor there was one of the people who sort of went to oh, I guess really? express yeah. you know commiserations with the with the local mosque leaders and stuff. So yeah, it yeah. seems like there's there's a bit of a history, but. The article that uh, that you wrote for us in in Signs of the Times gives a, a little bit of detail on some efforts that you made not to do so much sort of formal connections, you know, with people with leaders of other religions, but sort of a one on one contact with with people who live around your church. And you, yep. you've given them the names Zahira and Sabir in your mm-hmm. in your article, but I understand those right. aren't, aren't those aren't their real names. But let, let's stick with those for the purpose of sure. this, this interview. So t- tell us. About so you know you're a church pastor you've you've got plenty to do in in your own church why why go and visit the neighbours what what was that all about yeah well I mean most people when they're at, at the age of eighteen this is where it all started they'd mm. probably be out doing other things I guess I don't know what eighteen year olds do now but it definitely was a weird thing for me to just get this idea to go out and get to know the neighbours a bit more mm-hmm. and yeah and so I just yeah I wanted to I wanted to make my church more than just like a place that was there once a week. I wanted to get to know people more and mm. take it, yeah, just get more excited about the community that I'm in because I felt like I didn't know anyone. And yeah. so, yeah, I started knocking on doors and yeah, I knocked on this one particular door. I remember it was this green, like that, you know, that dark green color yep. uh, yeah, in this apartment area. And yeah, and just got this kind of, the door creaked open and and there was Sabir, I use his fake name, mm-hmm. and yeah, and he was kind of not suspicious, but kind of just cautious. Yeah, I think yeah. that's probably the best way to do it, and cautious to like, who's this guy? You know, weird eighteen-year-old kid at mm-hmm. my door. But within like you know, five minutes of just chatting, we just opened up completely. You know, like it was, it was awesome. Just this opportunity to get to know this this person, even though his English was quite broken being mm. from Egypt and only being there for a year. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was a really good experience to get to know him more. Well, wow, okay. So so I guess you know a lot of church buildings sort of sit in the the middle of their, you know, particular suburb or whatever and yeah. you know the, the neighbors around kind of see cars pull in on the weekend and cars pull out and, mm-hmm. and maybe hear a, a little bit of singing or music or some kids, you know, running around the car park, you know, playing chase or whatever, but, but that's about it. So uh, I guess what you're saying here is that you're wanting to build that connection between your local church and the and the houses surrounding in in your suburb. Is it is that basically what what it's about? Yeah, and being an 18 year old, I felt at that time and even till now, like it feels like I had to maybe put on get a lot of money and put on some event or something. Mm-hmm. But it just started with yeah, going out there mm. and speaking to them because. I feel like we just put up so many uh, rules and boundaries like, oh man, when will we, when will we make the time and effort to go out and get to know people more? Because mm. we're all just busy, work, play, whatever that we do and then we just neglect some people in our community that really just really want support and really want to get to know this country that they're in and in the case of people from other countries, but also just 
Australians. They want to get to know each other, you know. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. Now, look, ju- judging by your, your accent, Jacob, I'd say you, you were probably born in Australia yourself, but judging by your yeah. surname, I, I wonder if perhaps it's not too many generations back that, that your family has had the, the migrant experience. Would, would I be right about that? Yeah, well, yeah, I'm born here, and my parents came when they were about eight years old. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that my parents were immigrants, mm-hmm. and so I kind of understand what it's like to an extent. You know, it's mm. tough kind of having to move and, and learn the language. You know, my my parents and my grandparents especially, the English is a bit tough, you know, they're trying to figure it out. And, sure, we, we all are, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a difficult language. Uh, but, yeah, so, yeah, and, and then, you know, the opportunities are less, it seems, coming here. You know, they, they didn't have people ready to send them to university or anything like that. You know, they had to do the hard jobs and whatever they could take. So I can imagine it's like that for yeah, all yeah. immigrants. Yeah, so I go, yeah, so your own family history gives you a, a little bit of sympathy, I guess, a, a little bit of understanding of what a newer migrant might be going through. Yeah, fair enough. So look, I, I find it interesting that you say, you know, these guys, you know, uh, Sabir and, and his wife Zahira, as you said, like mm. uh, opened their doors and, you know, eventually invited you in. I, I remember doing a, a little bit of a, a similar thing around a church in Sydney, um, at Fairfield, oh, yeah. where, like, after the church service one day, like, there was a special event coming up in a couple of weeks. So we sort of wandered up and down the street near the church, just knocking on doors, inviting people, hey, you know, we've got an event, you know, the, you know, the whole neighborhood's invited, you know, yada, yada, yada. Mm. But there were a couple of families in particular. I think they were from an Assyrian, uh, background yep. from you know from Iraq and Syria, so similar sort of thing that you're talking about, and I could not believe how they just like we're total strangers. They just invited us right in <laughs> again. Similar like English is a difficulty, <laughs> and straight away it was hey you know do you want a cup of coffee? Do you want a cup of tea? Have a seat. Blah blah blah. And then there's all other people sort of turning up to the house and they're introducing them to us. It's not like it's, yeah, it's yep. not like we yep. in, interrupted you know something. It, it was like we were just immediately included and immediately you know part of everything I thought wow you know some of these Middle Eastern cultures just have an incredible culture of hospitality and it just blew me away yeah so enriching you can get so much from just spending it a day with them, you know, and then you start realizing, wow, that's that's how you hang out with people. That's how mm. you, you know, spend time with friends and family and then including others, you know. I don't think you'll ever go hungry mm-hmm. and never feel <laughs> like you haven't had enough to eat or drink when you go and visit someone from Syria or from Afghanistan. You know, mm-hmm. like they just, they'll lavish food all over you and you'll kind of roll out of there. That's my experience, at least. Wow, far out. So, so for how long have you been uh, like, friends with these guys now? Well, I mean, I've got quite a few from different countries. Mm-hmm. So probably, yeah, since I was 18, one of my close friends from Egypt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's, I'm 26 now, so I'm trying to do the oh, math wow. in my head. But, okay, yeah, wow. So that's ago. eight years, okay. Yep. So, you've been doing, so this isn't just a, one day you thought you had a wonderful idea and you had a positive conversation and that's it. This is a... A long, long-standing sort of number of relationships that you've been building. Okay, I, yeah. I, I didn't realize that. So, so this particular couple, you know, Sabir, Sabir and Sahira, what what did you sort of learn about them as you uh, as you got to know them? Yeah, well, I mean, the the big thing that I realized was that once they moved here, she she was training to become a pharmacist, and mm-hmm. that required 
seven years of study in Egypt and then f- more here. Oh, wow. So, you know, a lot of studies go into it. But now that she's qualified, she hasn't been able to get a job. Uh, they haven't, like, picked her up at all. And her husband is also trained in pharmacy, but mm-hmm. same thing. And so he's working as a security guard at, like, a chemist and just, you know, at the door checking bags. Yeah, he's got all this experience and training. And so, yeah, like, something I've realized is that even though they've, you know, probably got more training or experience than others, they're not going to get the same chances in, for a lot of the time. I don't know mm, why mm. that often is the case. Usually it's the English kind of thing. It's not as good. But I've noticed that, yeah, they do it a, a lot more harder. I know, yeah, Sabia suffers from pretty bad back pain. And so doing a job like that where you're standing all day, yeah, causes a lot of mm, issues and, mm. yeah, they don't get a whole lot of support either. So, yeah, just, oh, man, I could just see the struggles that they go through. Mm-hmm. Real real battlers, real battlers. Wow. And, and they've got two kids as well? Oh, uh, yes. Yep. Yeah, okay. Because your um, your article sort of starts with a particular incident that that happened to, to Zahira while she was like walking just down the street, you know, from from home. Can, can you tell us about that? Yeah. So, she, they lived about three blocks away or or four blocks away from the hospital, pretty big one in Brisbane. And so she was walking down and it's on a main road and she's just standing there and she said that a car came around the corner, pulled up next to her and uh, I think it was like at the lights and then just mm-hmm. started like swearing at her and saying many insults. I think in the article I had to tame it down, but when she told me, she told me like exactly. And I'm just the, thinking the words myself, they used and, and they, they weren't nice. They were very colourful. They were very wow. colourful words. So that, so um, these are these are two guys in a car, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Mm, wow. Um and so the insults come th- thrown at her and then the kids are just standing there mm-hmm. while this is all happening and she's like walking home with them. Yeah. Um, and, and and are these insults like like d- directed at like what sort of flavor do they have? I mean, obviously, you know, we don't need you to repeat the bad language. Yeah, but what? very racist, very like yeah, towards okay. like her, um, you know, obviously she wears the, the headscarf and mm-hmm. so that comes into it and just, yep. yeah, all sorts of things like that. Right. So she was a vis- visibly Muslim and that was, mm-hmm. it seems like that was the thing that had sort of triggered this, this torrent of abuse that she copped. Yeah, no doubt. Like if I said that like she was you know, from Australia, you'd kind of think, oh, that's really weird that somebody would randomly do that to a mm. mother with her children. But mm. yeah, like it's it's very much like, you know, things like terrorists and, and all this sort of like terrible wow. things. So, Goodness yeah. me. So, so this was what, a few years back in, in Brisbane like, rather than in, yeah. in Toowoomba. Okay. Yeah. All right. And, and how old were the kids at that time? I remember them being like grade four and I think grade two. So they're about two years apart. Wow. Yeah. So, so so pretty young, but old enough to understand and old enough to ask. You know, well, what's what was what was all that about? Old enough to mm. be scared, I imagine. Yeah. So they walk home after that, and I visited not long after. I think it was about a week or two bef- uh, like before, and then mm. they tell me the story, and the kids are like sitting there, like just kind of like nodding every time she's telling me the story. Like, yeah, that's how it happened. Like, you know that. And just feeling like, yeah, I mean, how do you sit and listen to a story like that? And mm-hmm. brought me to tears. Wow, yeah. wow. And and you you mentioned in the article that she she was also in tears at, at the time, like just mm. just recalling it. Yeah, yeah. And the husband kind of you could see he's not happy. Like every mm. time she tells a story, like it's just it hurt a lot the whole family. And then yeah, 
Yeah, wow. And, and so is, is this an isolated thing or is this something you've heard sort of different versions of from the various, you know, different uh, Muslim friends that you've made? Uh, well, you know, like when this recent uh, thing that happened in Christchurch happened, I remember mm. sending a couple of messages out to friends and I know one friend, he messaged back, he's about my age, he was saying that his family were a little bit afraid now to attend the mosque and a little bit afraid to go out. And so I think like it, it wouldn't be an isolated thing. Hmm. You know, like you, you hear it often just people saying jokes and things like, and then after an event would happen, like maybe overseas. Hmm. Yeah. You know, the first people they blame is the people close to them. Yeah. And yeah. So, you know, that blame is easy to, to attribute to somebody that, you know, you can see. And so, yeah, like he would tell me of things at school that would happen to him and yeah, often. So, yeah, I, I mean, like it's not isolated, no way. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned the Christchurch shootings, which were obviously, you know, horrific and we're still mm. sort of trying to make sense of it, you know, including the, you know, the Australian connection with, with the shooter. I mean, it's it's just mm. horrific. So what what sort of like in speaking to your to your Muslim friends you know um, in Toowoomba or, or in Brisbane or, or wherever about this what sort of response are you getting what sort of reaction are they having Yeah well I mean a lot of it it seems to be like they're trying to figure out what's going on just like anyone would be hmm. and yeah like when you talk to them like how they're doing I know I just I messaged one friend and not severe as a hero and I just said oh you know like just uh, I heard what happened and I hope I'm just praying for you and your family mm. and yeah and they they just responded and said oh, wow that's you know we really appreciate that and one friend was like oh man my mum was really like afraid because I think she knew someone from the mosque and so mm, boy that yeah and so that kind of you know it's, it hits close to home mm. and all the you know, all the thoughts come into your head, like, what if that was me? And, you know, so that was, that was kind of the feeling that I got coming from them because it's like someone from their community. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Hey, look, something you you said, you wrote in your article, I think is just incredibly quotable. And I'd like to quote it back um, to you like right now, if you like, and you can Mm -hmm. expand on it a bit. You said, maybe the difference between people who spew hatred and those who give love is that those who love have listened. Hmm. What I mean, I, I think you know that's that's a great l- little summary, really. But what what do you mean? What what does what difference does listening make? Yeah, well, you know, imagine if those guys that were in the car that hurled those insults at at Zahira, you know, like what would what would have happened if they were sitting on the couch where I was, hmm. and then they got to hear what it was like for someone else to do? like? Would they have hmm. gone and you know, pull wound down their window, slowed their car to a stop, and started you know yelling. Hmm. I can guarantee you, if it was someone close to us, we wouldn't do that. Hmm. So as soon as you get to know a person, you're less likely to see them as just another another enemy or another problem hmm. and a, a, a target of your a finger. target, yeah, yeah anything yeah. like that. And and you're more willing to okay, hey, this is somebody that's valuable, and you know you hear their story, you hear their experiences. You know, you eat their food, you, you know, you sit on their couch and, you know, this is just like anybody else. Uh, mm. So why would I treat them like that? 
Yeah, wow. Now, look, you're you're a pastor. Obviously, you've said that they're in in Toowoomba, so you must have a, I guess, a, a theology that sort of undergirds this. Uh, you know, the, these things that you've put into practice, this sort of deliberate effort to get out there and connect with people who are from a different background and religion. I, mean, I think particularly of Jesus' words. You know, where he said, you know, what, whatever. The, the golden rule. What is it? Help me out. Oh, oh, do unto others as you'd have them do to you. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, you do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I mean, that's a. Is that sort of at the at the foundation of of where you're at, or or is that part of it? Yeah, I mean, a, a theology is how you see God, right? And yep. if if you see God as somebody's closing off people groups, mm-hmm. then that's a pretty small God, right? Like mm-hmm. so. Yeah, I see. I see God as someone who breaks down these walls of, that separate us and that we mm-hmm. like to set up, and and I think that's definitely something you see Jesus doing. Mm. Like He doesn't choose only some people who are very popular and who are very well loved and you know who are doing all the right things. He picks the worst. Mm. And can, can can you give some examples? Just get some of well, our listeners yeah, may, may have I never mean, read you know the Gospels sure, or any sure. stories like about the, Jesus. The perfect yeah. thing, the one that came to mind just as you said that was there's a woman who is caught for her sexual misdeeds mm-hmm. and she's dragged before Jesus by the religiously pure and you know the really good people mm-hmm. and they're trying to trap Jesus but he instead uses that as an opportunity to give her a second chance mm. another one that also came to mind is a guy who was dishonest with money his name was Zacchaeus mm-hmm. and uh, everyone hated him for it you know real you know yeah well, he was a, he was a collaborator with the Roman occupiers wasn't he so exactly exactly yeah. and but, so as well as a rip-off merchant yeah yeah perfect person to hate on yep and Jesus chooses to spend time with him and hang out at his house mm. I mean like how how controversial can you get yeah. <laughs> and so he's he's spending time with with this guy and just changes his life and but doesn't expect anything. He just says, "Today, you know, salvation's come to this house. Today, this is the day when you know your life is going to turn around." Mm-hmm. And he and he recognizes, "Wow, I'm valued," even though Jesus didn't have to do that. Mm-hmm. And so it's just amazing what can happen when the wall comes down between us. That we can actually uh, people's lives can change for for better. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So so you you really do have a. Like a very clear biblical view that like real Christianity actually involves reaching across the cultural barriers, the language barriers, the racial barriers, the even even religious barriers to yep. connect with other people. Yep. Yeah, well, and and I think, I mean, there's the whole idea that right in the very beginning, it says, you know, hum, humans were created in the image of God, mm-hmm. um, you know, so therefore, you know, regardless of anyone's background, you know, they are created in the image of God. And Jesus himself said, which is, which is I guess, something that's powerful to Christians in particular, that mm-hmm. when you help someone who is, you know, at the, at the most disadvantaged place of their lives, it's as if you're helping Jesus himself, you know, he says, you know, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, it's like you did it for me. That's that's some sort that's of powerful it. stuff, isn't and, it? And and it, like you know, the the center of the three largest religions in the world, you know, the Abrahamic religions, mm-hmm. is Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Mm-hmm. And they look to Abraham as someone they value. And Abraham's initial call was to bless the nations. Like yeah. that's what that's what his role was, and that means he was meant to make the world better uh, and bring it together, like to break down those walls. So, I mean, it's built into all of the biggest religions of this world. Mm, uh, mm. It's just sad that sometimes we forget that. 
Yeah, wow. No, that's, that, that is true. And Abraham is also an example of hospitality uh, par excellence, mm-hmm. isn't he? Like some, yep. you know, strangers are walking on the road and he's like, hey, come, you know, it's hot today. You know, stop by. Um, I'll uh, whip you up something to eat. You know, like three hours later, he's still mm-hmm. sort of, you know, slow cooking the, the mutton or whatever. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's Middle Eastern hospitality for you, though. So, yeah. um, so for, for those of um, us who are listening, who are thinking, well, you know, I'm not a pastor of a church. I don't have an excuse to go and knock on someone's door randomly and say, hi, I'm the local pastor. Would you like me to pray for you? Mm-hmm. But, but they do feel this sense that, yeah, I, I would like to be more connected with my community. I would like to meet, meet people who are perhaps from a, a different background from me. What sort of practical tips could you give them to, to get started with that? Well, I mean, uh, uh, Sabir and Zahira were just one example of where that happened. But, I mean, what... One of my friends, I'll just call him Ahmed, he basically, like, he's just a friend from school. You know, like, a lot of us have friends that we, you know, or people that we work with, yeah. or just people we know who might be from another culture, like, you know, or they could be Muslim or anything like that. And, mm. like, just start with them, Pe- people who are closest to us. Because you're right, Jacob, aren't you? You're right, because it's increasingly the case that mm. we you don't have to go to find the, you know, in inverted commas, ethnics, because they're increasingly all around us, particularly in, in city, you know, sort of metropolitan yeah. kind of contexts, yeah. Yeah, they're coming to us, like, you yeah. know, we, we don't really have an excuse not to care and support and love them, because they're mm. coming into our neighbourhoods, and they could be our, they could be our neighbour, you know, and so what what better excuse than, hey, I live next door to you and because in the Middle East, everybody knows each other in a street. Yeah, It's yeah. only in the West that we choose to ignore our neighbours and avoid them. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. hopefully we don't do that. But I, I, uh, I blame two technologies, Jacob. Number one, yeah. the, the television, which keeps us all inside mm-hmm, and, and looking at screens. And it's not just television now, it's uh, uh, plenty of other screens. The other thing is air conditioning. You, you, clo- oh. <laughs> you close all the windows and doors and you, yeah. you, know, you get the climate control exactly how you want. Whereas like back in the old days, if it was yeah. a warm sort of afternoon, you'd sit out on the front porch and you got you know people would wander past and they'd and you chat over the fence or whatever i think you know tech, these technologies in particular have a, a lot to answer for <laughs> <laughs> maybe we have to have like air conditioning parties where everyone just comes over sits around the aircon <laughs> yes <laughs> we, we had some actually during some um i think it was during some bushfires or after a big storm or something all the power went out and uh, we ended up with we still had power in, in our house, but not many people other did. So, uh, so we ended up with um, electricity ref- refugees in our lounge room. <laughs> yeah, no, that's good. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I don't know, like something that's, I mean, this is another church thing, but it's actually, a, I, I didn't start it. A group mm. of us decided just to go down to the park and play soccer and invite anyone we knew who is considered, considered themselves a refugee. Mm-hmm. As a result of that, my barber, who's from Turkey, mm-hmm. he basically said, and he's like the best barber. You know, he does pretty good cuts on my hair. Yep. And uh, he basically said to said to me, "Oh, I'll come and do free cuts for you." So this guy is now who's so I'm a Christian. My mm-hmm. barber's a Muslim, mm-hmm. and the refugees that come to the soccer are all Yazidi, mm-hmm. and he's doing cuts for them. Whereas in Syria, it was ISIS who was taking away their homes and you know mm-hmm. considered themselves Muslim. And now my barber, who is a Muslim, is actually cutting their hair and trying to, you know, help them. You know, that's, I mean, yeah, wow. that's what it's about, right? Like, it's bringing everyone together. Yeah. 
No, that's that's incredible. Look, I, I really appreciate you talking to us today, Jacob, and, and I really appreciate the um, you know the efforts you're making to get out there and, and connect with people and and build that that sense of community. I mean, I guess you know if you are a Christian, and I'm you know you're a pastor, so you have to be. <laughs> it's this is a, this is a great sort of way to put your faith into action, and and I think that's what people admire admire you know like anyone can talk up a storm about their religion and their beliefs and pass judgment on this or that mm. but it takes you know someone with genuine faith to actually get up there and put their faith into action you know in a positive and affirming way and you know crossing boundaries and taking risks in in the way that you have so yeah i, I find that really inspirational and uh, and i hope our listeners do too Hey, thanks so much. Uh, and I, yeah, there's always more we could be doing, but at the end of the day, we just got to look out for our neighbour. Hey, yeah, no worries. Sounds fantastic. Thanks heaps, Jacob Uglesha. Hey, thank you. Today's episode was based on an article appearing in this month's Science of the Times magazine. A subscription is just twenty six dollars for eleven issues a year. To find out more, visit signsofthetimes.org.au. Signs of the Times has been published in Australia since 1886 and is proudly produced by Adventist Media.